this being the summer of the soul. So we're talking about issues that affect our emotions, relationships, thoughts, sense of purpose. And uh, there's a scripture passage that we are to prosper as our soul prospers. So your soul needs to prosper. And um, that's the design of our series. And um, today I want to talk about conflict. I have plenty of conflict examples in my life. <laughs> and um, I, uh, I haven't been... I've, I've tried to be faithful and uh, successful in areas of conflict. Um, some I have, some I haven't. Um, but I think it... I've learned as I've done many years of ministry that I that sometimes we talk about conflict and we don't really practice it successfully we expect it not to be successful in the world but we want it to be successful in the church but sometimes we overlay the church with how we hand, how we handle conflict in the world and I guess what I want to say to you is that when you do that we tend to act out life in the, in the, in the situation where we, we have to bring division or separation because of conflict. And I guess in the family of God, uh, conflict's not a design here to, um, to create separation, division, and... Uh, lack, but to create intimacy. And um, so we're going to talk about the elephant in the room, is the title of my message today. So I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, and um, starting at verse 49. I came to cast fire on the earth. And wood that we would already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Wow. Jesus is saying, I came to cast fire on the earth that it would be already... And would that it were already kindled, I have a baptism to be baptized with. How great is my distress until it is accomplished. So first off, so gang, right here, hello, kids. You can be there all you want, but I need to talk to these people. So if you can help me by just, so I don't compete with you, that would be appreciated. Is that cool? Okay, awesome. So... A lot of times when we walk through conflict and we walk through, we don't realize that sometimes the conflict that we are facing has already been brought about by Jesus. A lot of times we look at conflict and we think, oh, that was of the enemy. Jesus wouldn't have me do this. But I, I guess what I want to say is that Jesus creates conflict by kindling a fire on the earth. And Jesus is distressed about it at the same time. 
Because what he's talking about is his death. He's saying that I came to cast a fire on the earth that it would already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. So he says there's, there's a conflict. It's already there. I'm part of it. I'm also, because I'm, a, I'm the son of man, I'm also distressed by it. Because I have to die. So, you know that feeling of discomfort you have around confrontation? Jesus knows that feeling. But Jesus wants us to move toward healthy conflict anyway. So Luke's chapter 12 verses 51 to 53 says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house there will be five divided. Three against two, two against three. They'll be divided. Father against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, we often use this scripture passage to justify violence. But if you do that, then you have to justify violence against people in your own family. Okay. If Jesus is not endorsing war here, you can believe there's something, sometimes a moral justification for violence, but using this passage to make that point is not fair to the text. Some versions say, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. But then Jesus goes on to describe relational conflicts between family members. So if you believe the sword is what Jesus brings literally, then you must also believe that Jesus sometimes wants to literally take up the sword against our mother, our father, our son, or mother-in-law. Now, none of you are allowed to take up a sword against your mother-in-law. I don't care how tempted you may feel. So then what does this mean? Jesus brings people to the point of decision. And this decision is so important, it can even lead family members who disagree into division. Following Jesus does not remove the conflict from our life. Following Jesus does not mean that you are brave enough to head straight toward the true source of your conflicts. Then how do we face conflicts then the way Jesus would want us to? I'm glad you asked. Because this matter, he gave very clear instructions in Matthew chapter 18. It says here, if your brother sins against you, you go tell him... You go, sorry, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three agree upon anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For whether two or three are gathered in my name, I am among them. So this is a healthy pattern of confrontation. So, I'm going to be practical this morning, so if you're taking notes, it would be good to do so, because... After, after today, I want to establish a good culture for healthy confrontation. What do you mean? You're going to con- confront me? No, what I'm trying to say is I want to be able to build a culture in this room where the love of God allows us to experience confrontation the way Jesus wanted it to take place in and through our lives, that we don't have to fear it or avoid it or feel separated by it, but that we can further deepen our lives together in our walk with him. So, here's the pattern. You have a problem with something, someone. The first thing you do is you talk directly to them. And be vulnerable with your hurt. Now, in the scripture passage, it says, if your brother sins against you, you go tell him his fault between you and him alone. So what, it's, what we sometimes go is, if I have a conflict with Tracy, I'm going to go tell him my beef. And he is to listen to me. How we can read that is literally and go, well, he just needs to listen. He just needs to conform to my hurt. That's not what we're getting at. When it says that we are to talk to one another, we are to express what's happening to us. We're to talk to the person, but we are to express our vulnerability A lot of times when we get into confrontation, we're already judge, jury, and sentenced. So executioner is what I wanted to say, but we don't have that anymore. But we get sentenced. So what happens is in confrontation, we have already worked up. And if you're like me, when I have to confront somebody and I have to deal with stuff, I've gone through scenario after scenario after scenario after scenario after scenario after scenario after scenario, scenario, trying to come to some kind of analyzing this conflict so that it could be a success. None of you are like me. You just go into conflict and go, here here it is. And sometimes you're not ready for the conflict. What do you do then? Church, as Christians, we have to be able to talk to one another directly, but we also have to be vulnerable with where we are at. And that means we don't be accusatory when we're talking to people. We talk from I statements. I feel. I have done. This is what I am 
getting from what you have done. I, this is, it's about me. You're explaining yourself. Okay? So you do not blame. You do not accuse. You take ownership over your own perception and your own reaction to what has happened. So here's an example. You made me feel so angry when... Okay? If you say like that, they didn't make you feel angry. Their actions do not have to be so powerful over you. Instead, there's a more helpful way to bring up the conflict. So, we have to observe what happened without judgment. You state the facts without interpreting them. And guess what? That is so hard to do. Because when we have to walk into that situation, we've already made an interpretation and it comes out of our speech. So, how would you do that? Well, here's the wrong way. You said you'd be home by 5.30. You always do this. You say one thing and then you do another and we're late again. I don't know. None of you ever experienced that, do you? Or, we had a conversation earlier where you agreed to be home at 5.30. The time is now 6.30. This means that we're unable to make our supper reservation at 6. Okay? One, you've stated the facts. The other, you've already interpreted and become jury and judge. Okay, so you observe what happened and you express them without judgment. Next, express your feelings about what happened. Be vulnerable about what you're going through without making them responsible for it. I, you can say it like that. You can, this is, here's the wrong way. I feel angry because you can't keep your word. Or, I feel angry because I really wanted to be there on time. And I believed we would because you, I took you at your word. See the difference? Next, you clearly state what your needs are. What would have to happen in order for there to be harmony in the relationship? Here's the wrong way. I need you not to ruin every date night we plan. (laughs) Or... I need to know you will keep your word on when you're coming home. Or at least give me an hour's notice if circumstances beyond your control are changing our schedule. And then lastly, you make a request. You treat the other person as a free individual who gets to make their own choices. And request a measurable change in behavior to address the problem. Here's the wrong way. Could you just be considerate of my needs for once in your whole darn life? (laughs) Or could you set a reminder on your phone so that you could leave to pick me up with time to spare? If you are incapable of doing that, perhaps I could pick you up at work instead. 
Do we see the difference? So that's how we talk to one another by coming. If that your brother or sister offends you, you go to talk to them. That's the kind of talking that I'm talking about. The second thing it says, Jesus says, if you, they do not receive your confrontation and you're at an impasse, you bring a new, neutral third party that you both respect into the conflict. You don't bring your lawyer. You don't bring a friend who's already heard your side of the story. Bring someone who can help resolve the matter who carries a spirit of reconciliation. By the way, this is why gossip and slander is so destructive. By entertaining judgment about someone else's situation invalidates you from being the solution for the relational breakdown. Now, there is a time for counseling someone if they're confiding you and asking you for your pastoral wisdom, but only to entertain someone's issues if you first warn them that you will force them to confront someone after they talk to you. Did you hear me? In the area of counseling, if you go to someone and say, I have this issue, if you need to be clear that when that begins to happen, you begin to let them know if this is situation with someone else, you have to make them responsible to go to that person. There's too much going on in life today where we listen to one another's grievances, that's a good word, and we, we take sides and we build camps. The church has been divided far too long over the years and it has to stop. It will not solve anything if you are offended by someone and you get someone to hear your, your beefs about someone else and then you expect them to carry your cross of offense. Right. Absolutely right. That brings division in the body of Christ and does not solve anything. And sometimes we are very innocent about that. Well, you don't know how I feel. And this person just loved it. They're there for me. And I, I, we can make it sound so Christian. But I'll tell you, being on this side of leadership of that situation, it becomes very destructive. This is, when we do that, we're really laying worldly democracy and political influence over the church. Hear me, please. Because that's how politics operates. Politics operates that when you're offended, you grab people to hold your cause so that you can earn the right to change the situation with a group of people. The body of Christ doesn't work in politics. 
You will, you will find as we get closer to the election, this, this will start to escalate if it hasn't already. Da 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 and it's all over Facebook. I have literally over the when the last election happened, I had to stop following certain things because all of this was it it ramps up to create camps. And as a Christian, I can't allow my heart to start creating camps with individuals that are on my friends list. I care about my friends too much to make, to go, well, you're, you're such and such, and you're such and such, and you're, you're like me, and we're going to fight this thing to the end. Like, that's not Christian. It's very political, but it's not Christian. I've seen it happen in the church. I've seen things that... It is, it is literally destroyed the fabrics of some cultures and churches because people have overlaid politics onto conflict. And it, it is so divisive and so demonic that I... I have, to, I have to warn us. I have to say that if, if someone comes to you, that it's only the right thing to do, saying, you know what, you're talking to me about such and such, and you need to deal with them. If not, I'll go with you, but you need to, but you need to deal with that. That's right. So, number three, if they refuse to listen over a third-party that comes along with you and you're wrong, the matter should be brought up within the whole community. This is to keep people from taking sides and making camps. If you confront someone and they do not change, or sorry, they do not listen, they do not understand, you'll feel better by telling other people your story, bring them into your side, but you'll be doing really the work of the enemy. This is one of the few occasions where Jesus mentions the church directly. These are guidelines for his ecclesia, his called out ones. This is a higher standard for our community, even though it would work in your household or neighborhood or workplace too. What happens if this matter gets taken place in the church and they still don't listen? Well, if they refuse to listen to their community, then a boundary must be drawn between them and the community. And Jesus says, treat them like tax collectors and sinners. So, here's the point. How did Jesus treat tax collectors and sinners? He went and had parties with them. Okay. What I'm trying to get at is that he loved them, he dined with them, he welcomed them, but he didn't let them bring influence on his values. And that's the point that is trying to be brought across here. If you confront someone and work through all of the necessary steps, then the impasse you're facing will inevitably move someone back into a level of intimacy from your life. You see, there's circles of influence, and if I had time, we could do all of that, but there are certain, when we have conflict, we just, 
We still love them. We just create boundaries so that they don't have the influence that they once did. But we still love them. Jesus doesn't want us to avoid confrontation. Jesus wants us to do it in a healthy way. So going back to our text in Luke, verses 57, 59, why do you not judge yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. Those who learn how to negotiate healthy conflicts will be able to navigate a hostile world. Let me say that again. Those who learn to negotiate healthy conflicts will be able to navigate a hostile world. The church is supposed to be a training ground for conflict. The world does not operate on the principles of healthy confrontation. If you avoid issues and neglect to deal with the way people affect you, you might end up being persecuted by someone who knows how to continually be unfair to you. Jesus doesn't want us to end up trapped in prison. He doesn't want our conflict avoidance to lead us into emotional, financial, or physical bondage. You cannot force other people to treat you fairly, but you can become the kind of person who is always willing to confront others in the best possible way. How do you do that? When you rush, when confrontation takes place or there is a conflict... Many times, and I speak from my, I'm speaking from my own experience, is when we get into conflict, we tend to be, we tend to come with already our preconceived ideas of how this should work and what needs to happen. And what happens is we really avoid meeting the needs of the people that we're in conflict with. We're already trying to make them be uh, brought into a, um, what's the word here I want to use? We, we sometimes, I just need that one word. Where is that word? Uh, no, I... A lot of times we want to get into, the, into correcting behavior and situations and we get into the, the diagnosis and the, um, the 
We get into diagnosis, but we get into the method of, of what needs to take place so that people will fulfill and meet what's taking place. So if I'm in conflict with Connor, I'm a lot of times when we get into conflict, I've already made judgment. I've already understood my what needs to change, and therefore I go to the behavior to change the behavior before I've met and known the need. I've already tried to change the behavior because I've not sensed what the need is for the conflict. I have not known his need. I've not known my need. And the problem that sometimes we get into conflict is we don't know each other's needs. The reason why there is conflict to begin with is not just an action. It's really a heartfelt need isn't met. In any situation, whether it's financial, whether it's emotional, whether it's a relational issue, whether it's a thing that's happening at your work, a lot of times if you break it down, it's really there is a need in your life that needs to be met. A deep, heartfelt need. What is that need? Well, now I see the word I need. We get into, the, we get into trying to get into, we, we get into strategy before we get into need. The strategy is the word I needed. When I talk about, when I use the word need, I'm talking about the, the resources that is required so that life can sustain itself. So when you're in conflict over finances, it, there is a need there for finances, correct? There is a resource there that it needs to, it's in order for you to sustain yourself. That's why when we get in conflict over pay equity, we get, we get, we get, well, here's what I need. Here's what I need. I need 50 or a dollar or $2 an hour raise. We get into the strategy. When basically what it really boils down to is I'm feeling financially pressured. And you're not hearing my need for financial, pre of financial pressure. We've already gone to 50 steps ahead. Church, if we understood that a lot of times the needs are screaming at us in the room rather than the strategy, we would, we would look at conflict totally different. People today are illiterate in expressing their needs. They've been trained to criticize, to insult, and to communicate ways that create distance among people. Let me give you an example of that. You and your wife are sitting... Okay, I'm going to use my own. I talked about this the other way. I went to fly to Calgary, and Barb and I go through... We put our luggage in and we go into security. And I don't know what goes on, but in me, I got to get through security the fastest way possible. Okay? I have means by which to do that. I have my Nexus card. I could use that, but, I, but Barb doesn't, so we do this together. Sometimes. 
But we get to the place where the lines come together and all of a sudden, one line looks a little shorter than the other. And I go, I'm leading. Boy, we're going to that, that shorter line. And she, and she goes to me, we don't need to do that. If you look at what's going on, this line's better. I said, no, that line is longer. Okay? So I've already concluded the strategy of conflict that I'm going to go to the shorter line. Guess what happened? My wife is right and I'm wrong. The other line was shorter. For the time. Now, we had a conflict. But the issue is that it wasn't about the shortness of line that's the issue. It's the need for me to stop being anxious about getting through security. But can I admit that to myself? No. Not at the time. Not at the time. I'm wanting to be right because I need to get through the lineup and get through. How many times have we experienced conflict over strategies and over things that what people have done to us without even realizing there is a deeper need involved that's causing the conflict to begin with? Did you know that if you get angry or defensive when people start to talk, that is probably a good tool to recognize that you didn't hear what the person was actually saying? You really don't know the need of the person that is in conflict with you. Because what has really happened is what's been said has hit your need and has allowed you to go, ouch! To get defensive. To feel that you're being scrutinized or pushed into a strategy that is demeaning or breaks down your freedom. I don't know about you. But here's some strategies of what we could do as a church to help us just think this through as we walk through each and every conflict situation. First and foremost, it takes spiritual clarity to have a high consciousness of how you want to connect with other people. We live in a society where I'm afraid that that's judgmental. There needs to be a high consciousness of how we want to connect with people. It means, it really means a practice. If all of us wanted to do this, it takes, it will, if you are consciously trying to understand where people are at, you will have to stop yourself and think about how you're reacting with people at least three to four times a day. If you really want to connect with other people in this world, so how do you do that? Some people call it maybe meditation or prayer. They stop and they slow down. 
And they basically begin to do a checklist of how, uh, what's running through one's head when you're dealing with people. What is actually going through my head when I'm in conflict? Because if we really took time for that, we would understand that there is something going on in me as I was with the lineup at security that really it's, I have the problem, not my wife. And sometimes how we deal with one another in our own homes, with our work, with our bosses, with all different areas. If we would stop and think about what's going through our head at that particular moment, you'll begin to think, you'll begin to see judgments, criticism, issues that are, you're inflicting upon yourself because they are causing you pain. They are revealing your own need inside. What else do you do? Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> Every time you, you catch yourself judging someone else, you make a note. What did I do? What did others say or do? All of a sudden, I give my, you give yourself permission to turn... What did I give myself permission to turn that into a judgment? And then thirdly... You allow yourself to be in a community that creates a supportiveness of building the, the place where you can express one's needs. And that's what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be that, that community where you can find the support, where you can express oneself without feeling judged, juried, and sentenced. I want to say this, love is not something we feel, but something we manifest, something we do. It's something we have. Love is something we give. Read, read 1 Corinthians 13 again in light of something you do, not in something you withhold. Church, you and I cannot ignore the elephant in the room any longer. We need to pace ourselves, learn from other people who are better at conflict resolution than we are, give ourselves room to grow. You won't say it all right. You won't remember all the details right away. But commit to becoming a person of healthy confrontation. Remember, following Jesus is walking in the way of confrontation. Jesus did that. Do you remember at the well, the woman at the well, he confronted her with her life. He confronted the disciples on, especially Judas, on this woman that would come to put anointing oil on his feet and wipe it with her hair. He confronted the disciples when they, they needed to feed the 5,000 or the 4,000. He he, his whole life was full of confrontation, and yet they were successful at bringing good conclusions to those confrontations. 
church, I am excited about building a community where confrontation is not something to avoid. Confrontation is something that excels us and accelerates us to building the love that he called us to, to express to one another. I don't want anyone here in this room to feel like they've been segregated and separated and pushed to the side and because they didn't listen that they were ostracized from the church. No, I want to love on you and I want to hear you and I want to minister to you. I want to see that your needs are met, but it can't all be done from this point forward. It has to do with one another. Where the culture is, is firmly established and it builds a a a place where confrontation builds intimacy that creates the love that we are all so desperately desiring to have and to walk in constantly. I want to be able, like you, to be able to say, you know what? There is a healthy culture of confrontation in our church. What? That sounds like an oxymoron if I say that right. Is that right? Uh, Oxymoron where you can say one thing and it's really the opposite. The issue is that we need a community where there is the essence of Christ's love that compels us to be like he is without feeling that we have been hurt, dismissed, and left to just walk alone and not be understood. What if God changed your world with confrontation where there was a healing salve of his love that poured through you to everyone you met? Where you could really see God moving in your workplace. How you, hand, how you interacted with coworkers and your boss. How you brought healing to your home, to your family. How in fact there would be such a desire that you become the place where neighbors go, you know, I need to know her because there's something about her that I need in my life. It's all possible. It means not letting the elephant in the room stay there. <laughs>